Hello and welcome to the podcast. And today, guys, we have an awesome talk with University of Texas's Dr. Chris Morris. You know, and if we're going to talk with Dr. Morris, we're going to be talking about fluid periodization. And uh, we're going to start out talking about his dissertation, guys. We're gonna we're gonna get into the reasons behind it, why he ran the studies the way he did, what they did up at uh, at UK, and, and Get what they found. I mean, not specific numbers, but just what they saw. You know, a general overview. It's really fascinating stuff. I think that this is uh, this is pretty neat. And I think what's really cooler about it is that he put it out for everybody to look at. So he didn't hide any of this information. He was like, hey, listen, here's my dissertation. This is what I was working on. Y'all have a look. Let's rap about it. So I've got a lot of respect for him for doing that. And it's really, uh, it's really an awesome paper. If you haven't had a chance to read it, you really should. Um, we then start talking about what exactly fluid periodization is, um, and he gives some examples of it, and it's it's pretty awesome. You know, he he gets right into what they did, and uh, again, I mean, this this is some brave stuff. Not a lot of people are willing to share exactly what they do. So, kudos to Dr. Morris for for sitting there and being like, this is uh this is exactly what we did because it's it's pretty neat. It's it's a pretty awesome conversation, and these are the questions that people have all the time, right? Is it's like when you're going to make these changes, well, what do you do? Well, he's just straight up going to tell us uh, today what he did. And uh, I think something that's really cool that he talks about is how important communication is in this whole process and how communication dictates your monitoring and your programming decisions. Because if the kids don't really understand what's going on, it's, it's very hard uh, for them to buy into it. Uh, you know, and then we talk about how he's building this program at, at a new location. You know, I mean, all of the stuff of the dissertation was at Kentucky, and now that he's down at Texas, so how was he building this sports science department program at a new location? It's, it's actually really cool to hear. you know. And then it's a pretty neat open discussion about how both of us have implemented this model. Um, and obviously, this is drastically different settings. Me in basketball, Chris with football, you know, me at the A-10 level, and, and him with the, a- or the SEC, excuse me. So, you know, it, it's pretty neat to see the... The similarities, the differences, and how things kind of, uh, you know, the ebbs and flows of it. It, it was really a cool talk. And, uh, you know, the pros and cons that we both had, um, our views of the pros and cons of, of what the other ones saw. So it, it was pretty neat. You know, it, it's it, it's really an awesome talk. I took a ton out of this. I mean, like, we, we actually made some changes, like, right away after I sat down and, and talked with Dr. Morris about this. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Okay. All right, we're a go. Good stuff. Brilliant. All right. So, Chris, thanks for being on, man. Excited to talk about uh, about the dissertation here a little bit. So, how about we give people a little background, uh, let them know what we're actually talking about. Yeah, perfect. So, um, you know, I just finished the dissertation in May. Um, it was a concept that we we were kind of throwing around with when we started looking at really super compensation in the training process and, and the idea kind of came about is it seemed too linear to me uh, and the fact that we initiate some sort of training stimulus and we're just going to assume that everyone adapts in a similar fashion and super compensates at the same time and to me the the thought of that seemed really um, flawed and limited so you know when we started digging a little bit deeper we're using omega wave and omega wave gave us an idea of an athlete's status on an idea or on any given day um, and so it gave me an idea of their recovery or where they were at on this super compensation curve and so as we were taught in strength and conditioning 
if an athlete was in, a, in an alarm phase, would you want to add a, another stress to a stressor? Meaning, you know, it's just going to put them farther down. And it's going to take longer for them to adapt. And so the, the idea came up was, you know, what realistically can my athlete adapt to on any given day? Uh, and what measures we have that we can use to assess their, their readiness, essentially. And so and part of fluid periodization, when the guys came in, we were using Omega Wave as our objective measure. And that doesn't mean that you have to use Omega Wave. Uh, you could use, you know, a counter movement jump. You could use wellness questionnaires. You could use a variety of things. We just, we picked Omega Wave because it was the most objective valid data at the time for us. And so when a guy came in and tested, you we interpreted that information and we adjusted volumes and intensities in their training session based on what we thought that they could physically adapt to on that day. Um, and at the end of it, we had great results. The guys in our experimental group had um, incredible improvements in their vertical jump, broad jump, triple broad jump, aerobic efficiency. So across the board, there was more adaptation that was achieved in our experimental group. So the idea came about that, you know, you can have a plan, uh, you can do periodization, you can have the perfect thing written, but you need to be fluid in that plan based on some sort of objective information. Right. And it's something that I think people look at maybe as being a little bit more complex uh, than it actually is. So talk for a minute, if you can, about how you separated the group. Because, you know, when you look at, I mean, you were dealing with the football teams. We're talking about 100 cats. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously making individual changes to each specific student athlete would be highly difficult. Right. So, so talk about how, how you made those fluctuations throughout the week, day, whatever it may be. Right. So with football, you're right. You have 150 guys, 105, 150 guys. So it's a lot. And you have 30 to 40 guys in, in a training group coming in. So you can't logistically say, okay, based on your make wave, you just need to go do uh, cardiac output work and you're going to be over here and, and you're going to go do this. And so um, fluid periodization came about because – and which is a little bit different from the windows of trainability in Omega Wave, when you have a big group like that, you have to be able to make on-the-fly changes based on the workout that you have prescribed for the day. So depending on the severity of the athlete's reductions, uh, where they're at on the supercompensation curve determined what changes we're going to make. So, for example, if we had a guy that came in, we knew that he had three exams that we get to finals week. The guy's stressed out. We're looking at his omega wave. We see that he's in a state of sympathetic dominance or he's got the gas pedal pushed in 24-7. What we don't want to do is add. He doesn't have a lot of resources to adapt. So I'm looking at the card and I'm saying, okay, what on this card does he need to get the most of today? In a situation in the extreme, this guy, he's not in a state where he could adapt. So my, my saying to the strength coaches there was stimulate, don't annihilate. Let's go ahead and maintain. Maybe we just work up to one working set and then we cut it. So we maintain the neurological drive and then we cut out the volume because he simply couldn't handle the volume for that day. Um, on to the other side, if, if recovery just wasn't quite there yet, and he wasn't in a state of sympathetic but parasympathetic you know, overdrive, breaks on a little bit. Then we can let him do his main work. Um, we can look to cut some of his accessory volume. You know, accessory volume is just only supposed to enhance our main, our core lifts. So what in the accessory volume could we potentially look at eliminating? That was very individual. 
Um, if a guy really struggled on, let's just say, uh, we were trying to improve his bench press uh, and we're looking at his accessory volume and you had biceps and triceps and shoulders work, I'd look to eliminate the bicep work because we're trying to enhance his bench press, just for example. So we keep the things that he's deficient in uh, and we eliminate things that maybe are his strong points. Um, and then the other component to Omega Wave was a CNS. Um, if a guy came in and it was a CNS issue, we may start to look to eliminate some of the high CNS things. So a lot of the um, higher intensity work, uh, we would look to eliminate, uh, maybe do some recovery work as far as maybe just some simple hypertrophy circuits, some aerobic um, recovery type things. But it was, it was you still have a lot of intuition there uh, and knowing your athletes and, and that's how you based some of the reductions on. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome because it's, uh, I mean, we're lucky to have the, the tech here and it's something that we've been able to toy around with yeah. in, in similar situations. Um, now let, let's talk a little bit on how it was received by your guys. Right. So this is a really big uh, issue, I think, in when you implement anything new, regardless if it's Omega Wave Catapult uh, Wellness Questionnaire, you have to be really upfront with your athletes and you have to explain to them what it is, why we're measuring it and how it's going to make them better to get buy into them with the mega wave, especially because Omega wave or any of these, these metrics, it opens the door as a strength coach for you to ask questions. Meaning a guy comes in and tests poor and said, Hey man, you know, I saw that your mega wave was a little bit down today. Is everything okay? Not nah, coach, man. I mean, my girlfriend had, you know, a fight last night and then I had this paper due and I had a tutor at seven o'clock this morning. That gives me a lot of valuable information because now I know the source of the problem um, versus just blindly going in and saying, oh, he's stressed today. Let's not add another stressor. At least I can say, okay, is this an acute stress or is this a chronic stress? Relationship problems could potentially be a chronic stress. So how do we help this athlete eliminate that source of stress. Um, if you make it about them and make it personal, you're going to get more buy-in. You, you can't make them feel like they're a lab rat. Like we're collecting this data and you're never going to see it. So feedback is extremely important. So if, if someone tests poor and the athlete sees it, you need to follow up with them uh, and ask the question, regardless if it's a mega wave or even if it's a wellness question or something that's free and simple to do. If it puts a one or a two or something, you know, below his normal response, you need to go ask the question, hey man, I saw that you put a, uh, a one for mood today, what's going on? Then they know you care. Um, and once they know that you care, then you start to get buy-in and you start to build trust and then they start opening up to you and you can make better decisions based on that information. So, you know, I see a lot of people right now are rushing to collect a bunch of data, but they're collecting so much data you have a hard time managing it and then you can't really give the feedback because you're just you're you're importing data and trying to make sense of it all and all the athletes are sitting back like why am I even doing this you know so my my advice to to people when they first start out is do what you can manage first get really good at one or two things and then add because you can't have addition without subtraction so if you add a new technology you're more than likely going to have to add manpower and resources to, to gather that information and be able to give feedback to your athletes. Well, no doubt about it. Uh, and I think that that communication has been key with, with what we've been doing. It's like we were speaking about earlier. When we have times of the year where we want to push them and we want to kind of keep the pedal down uh, and we do make less changes, 
is when they have the biggest problem with what we're doing. They're kind of like, dude, I know I feel like crap. Like, I know you know I feel like crap. Why the hell am I doing this? Yeah. (laughs) You know? Um, and that, that part is what makes it, makes it interesting and, and brings the buy-in to it. And I think the part that makes it most interesting is the, the artsy part to it. Yeah. So now moving into a new location, how do you see this fitting in with everything down there in Austin? Right. So this was a really unique opportunity for me in the fact that I get to work with every sport here. Um, and, and so right now it, it's about going and not, not so much with the athletes, it's building trust with my performance staff and building trust with the head coaches and again, starting small and building my foundation. So for me, uh, the biggest thing for me here is is getting our database and our information, our reporting to where it's it's seamless. So it makes my feedback a lot easier. So if you set up automated reports based on the data that's coming in, feedback is almost you know instantaneous or it's alerting me or alerting a coach and we're we're taking departments like sports medicine and sports performance and um, you know nutrition, and we're trying to make them less compartmentalized so where everyone's seeing the same data stream and everyone has information, everyone has input, and we're making the best decision for that athlete. So that was that's step number one for me. Um, and that also allows us to start doing the free things like wellness questionnaires and session RPE or resting heart rate, some of the basic things that you can do uh, without having to purchase, you know, Omega Wave or Catapult or any of these expensive technologies. Um, so getting the database right now for me is, is key. And then going after the, the technologies that are going to best suit our environment, um, that are going to give us the most objective, reliable, and valid data um, to make the best decisions. So. That's on an individual basis. Some coaches are going to receive that information a little bit better than others. So it's about kind of making those relationships and seeing kind of what package I can build for each one of those individual teams, uh, which is a little bit different from other positions where I just worked with one team. Boarding was a little bit easier, and the lines of communication were all in one place versus being at several training facilities across campus. So it, it's a little bit more of a challenge, but... Um, you know, it's like I said earlier, it's a marathon, not a race. And some coaches, it's going to take three, four, five years before enough data comes in. We'll start, you know, relating data to performance and injury before they say, oh, well, that, that makes sense. We've, and I think in American sport, we've been embedded in a, in a culture for so long that you're naturally going to be resistant to change, uh, especially with very successful programs here at Texas uh, that have been winning national championships. For, for a head coach, they're going to be like, why am I going to listen to you when I'm already successful? Yeah. So those are kind of the feelers right now is just getting the foundation set, starting small, and then building on that as uh, people become more accepting. So then let's talk a little bit more about the decision process because I think that we can have a pretty neat conversation with, with both of our experiences here. So looking at what you did um, up at UK, right? let's let's kind of dive in a little more with uh, the day-to-day thought processes um, with these kids based on whichever metrics um, were most important for that day. Right. So, um, you know, at UK, when you, when you had a football team and you had a plan and you're, and you're looking at that plan and a guy comes in, whatever metrics you use, 
deciding what changes you're going to make are going to be highly dependent on a lot of different factors. That's why I said it's really important to get trust in your athletes so you can get them to open up. Um, you know, when, when you're looking at the daily card and the decisions, it's, it's a combined effort between not only me as a sports scientist, but the strength coach, the nutritionist, and sports med. Collectively, as a group, we have to agree upon the plan because, you know, a strength coach may have a lot different perspective because he knows the athlete in a different way than I know the athlete. And he's going to say, oh, well, based on the card, this athlete needs this the most to do for it to carry over to the field. And then the sports med guy is going to say, well, he's been battling a little bit of um, some patellar tendonitis. So maybe we alter, maybe we don't put him under the bar, but maybe we just do some some belt squats or something a little bit non-invasive. Uh, and the nutritionist is like, well, I noticed that he's missed two or three days of training table. So, all right, well, maybe it's a nutritional issue that he's not recovering. So that's three or four people that have the information uh, and we collectively make a decision. And then that's three or four people that are relaying that same message to the athlete. Um, now, in terms of, of decisions on, on the workout of the day, that's mainly driven by the strength coach uh, and what he feels like is the most um, prioritized uh, method for the day. So if today was a, um, we're going to increase neuromuscular output, it's a high CNS day. Uh, we do have some accessory volume built in there, depending on where the guy's at and the information we receive determines what realistically can my athlete adapt to today, taking in the objective information and sometimes taking in the subjective information for the athlete. Because if he feels terrible, but his mega wave is, isn't reflecting his mood, I think that sometimes mood will override some of the objective data because if he's not in it, if he's not feeling it, you're not going to get the same neuromuscular output and the adaptation you want. So you have to take those things into consideration too. So like you said, there's still very much an, an art uh, to this. So any of the monitoring technologies or methods uh, highlight a problem or open the door to ask questions. And then once those questions are, are answered, then you go to each component of performance and you know, you, you determine a plan. Yeah, you know, and obviously being in basketball, it's it's mildly different. Yeah. Um, when you're dealing with 15 cats as opposed to I mean, a football team, let alone an entire athletic department. Um, right. But what I think the, the important thing that people need to think about first when this starts and you're looking at this is everyone doesn't initially really have an individualized plan. Everyone right. is... Like, this is the direction we want to move. Now, I mean, with different teams, now basketball, obviously, when there's one or two of us with 15 guys, there may be three or four initial plans that yeah. we have throughout the team. But then you need to look at whatever you're determining, using to determine whether this guy is ready to adapt to things or not that day. Um, you, you, the next thing you need to look at is what do they actually need to be better in their sport? Right. And what are the characteristics that people in those positions display? Mm -hmm. You know, like the, the great talk that Val gives about everything that, you know, all of the great athletes have what? Yeah. Um, but even more specifically, like what, what do you bring to this team that makes you great? You know, what, for, for us, like what makes Terry Allen go? You know, yeah. what, what, why is he doing what he is doing? Like what are the physical qualities that, that separates him? Mm -hmm. Um, and then is it a matter of do we need to improve those to make him better? Or is it, you know, is he quick as a hiccup? Is he as elastic as all get up? 
but aerobically he's awful and he gasses out fast? Is yep. it vice versa? And if it's vice versa, does it matter? Mm-hmm. You know, so <clears throat> where do we now want to spend that money? Yep. Because if today is a high output day and you've got a cat that can jump through the roof mm-hmm. and, you know, he's 100% ready to go, but you know that later in the week on these aerobic base days, he, yeah. he's fried out typically, but that's what he stinks at. And he can't give you four, eight, ten minutes in a basketball game in a row. Yeah. Why are you going to spend the money now when really you need the repeatability and you need to save them later in the week to build those things? So understanding what your guys do and do not need, I think is huge. And then understanding how these things, these, these you know, things outside the weight room for, you know, coaches that are in a similar situation to me where, you know, I'm the guy at breakfast. Yeah. You know, so what do these cats need based on these readings um, to help them, you know, in these situations? And then they, have, you know, of course, they got to own it. You know, the other 20, 22, 23, whatever, I mean, the whole off day, whatever they're doing. I mean, if all they're doing is laying on the couch eating freaking Doritos today, I mean, obviously it's not going to help us in any way, shape, or form coming in tomorrow. But it's, um, it's, it's pulling these things together that I don't think people really understand. I think that they think... That when you pull this stuff in, it's automatically you get these pretty charts on your iPad, and it's like, oh well, you know what? We can't do this, that, or the other thing. Eh, I I disagree. Yeah. I think that you need to understand where these kids are and where they need to get better. And, you know, and, and Andrew Althoff at Baylor talked about that, uh, the whole mood thing, mm-hmm. with that you brought up at like practice. You know, and then there was an article about how they have like some like pump-up tunnel that they have these guys go through going into practice and it like it, it, it raises everything like mood is so important and we defer to that questionnaire uh-huh. you know that that questionnaire will tell us like if they're shot but they're telling me they're ready to go I mean that's more of a question day you know it's like hey how you feeling how'd that feel what do you think you got in the tank today you know as opposed to just taking them and, and cutting eight jumps to four to six or yep pulling the intensive lifting out and cutting the volume or, or whatever it may be. It's what's Johnny saying? You know, is he like, man, I'm ready to go today. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see how your performance is. And if your performance doesn't suck, you know, cut the puppy loose and let it go run around in the yard a little bit. Exactly. And we, uh, we kind of recognize that at UK. And so what we tried to do is, and, and this isn't valid, but, uh, we would take their wellness questionnaires, their Omega Wave scores, whatever metrics that we use, and we weighted them on what we thought was most important and developed kind of a basic algorithm to give an overall percentage, and we'd color code those. Um, because with a lot of players like that, you had to have one sheet where it's, I could go down and say, if I didn't have a lot of time to ask questions. Um, and so, yeah, you're right. It's it's very much a, an, an intuitive uh, process. and. Another thing, too, to kind of decrease that and make your decisions better, we did a lot of pre-test, post-test. So I knew what my limiting factors were in my athletes. Um, With 100 guys, sometimes you forget, oh, yeah, his VO2 or his aerobic capacity was his limiting factor. And so having that information, you'll know, okay, on a day where I don't have a lot to adapt to, we're going to do aerobic work and we're going to bring that metric out and make you a better overall athlete. Uh, but you hit the nail on the head saying don't strain your strengths because the the marginal improvement there is going to be minimal if he's already maxing out that. If he's already at the top 
of at his position and his class, why train that? Maybe hit a set to maintain it, but let's go work on what something that you're not great at. So that gets more into the individualization uh, aspect, which is a lot easier to do, like you said, in basketball than in football. And so with football, that fluid periodization model that we did was kind of a bridge where we're so focused on volume and intensity instead of type. You know, we have our plan. We can only manipulate volume and intensity, not type necessarily in football. So that's where the fluid periodization came in to uh, my dissertation. You can keep enhancing that by, okay, instead of doing volume and intensity, now I'm going to do type, which is more along the lines of the windows of trainability aspect, uh, which I think is better for small team sports like basketball or even individual components like Olympic athletes. But you're right, in a big setting, it's difficult. So just start with volume and intensity, alter that instead of type, and then move towards uh, the limiting factors model and then start to attack their deficiencies on what they need to adapt to that day. Yeah, and then understand that worst-case scenario, the plan is always just to keep the plan the plan, right? So Dan John said that, and it's kind of like the, the perfect thought with it. It's just know that you need to be making these kids better. Yep. You know, we're not running away from training. And, you know, like EK said, man, it's people think, the, you know, they look at all this monitoring stuff and they're like, well, you're just trying not to do so. No, we're trying to make them do more. Yeah. Like we're trying to prep them right so that they eventually they can do more and more and more and more and not fall apart. Exactly. And, you know, and I think that we program for the averages as strength coaches. I think you really only program volume and intensity for that plus or minus one standard deviation, which means you're going to overtrain uh, a certain population. You're going to undertrain another population. You need to identify your genetic freaks. You need to see what level, what's the maximum recoverable dose that I can give that athlete uh, because I think we're missing the boat on this top-tier population and then we're losing guys on the back. Uh, so you have to have some sort of fluidity in your programming to, to make sure that we're stimulating enough for guys that genetically can recover. And so we're raising the bar in the weight room by saying we can push you harder now if we have the right information. Instead of having a stagnant, we're going to program to make sure we're going to reduce injuries and be kind of soft with it. Now we can push the pedal a little bit and we can increase performance. And this could be something, too, where it's with a bigger team, Mm -hmm. where it could be almost regrouping or or restructuring just by simply saying you're group one, group two, group three today. Exactly. You know, where it's... You're either going to push it, you're going to repeat it, or you're going to back it down just a tad. And it, and I think that's the other thing, too, where people look at it and they think that because you're now individualizing, mm-hmm. you're going through. And with these 150 guys, it's like in number order, you know, all right, here's number one. And yep. he's here, so we're going to X, Y, Z. Okay. Yep. Here's two. And it's like, dude, that, 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 that's a 40-hour day. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> like, you're not going to be able to do that. So you gotta, exactly. you got to do that. And one thing that we've had success with is, is taking that and being like, this is what we see, this is what we're thinking. So instead of going eight jumps, let's go four to six. Yeah. Yeah, you, perfect. In that small sport environment, uh, that works great. And like you said, you had the three groups. We did color codes. Mm-hmm. Blue means um, we're going to push it 10 to 20%. Uh, green means we're just going to go as prescribed and yellow and red were kind of our levels of little less in our reductions, more intense in our reductions. So we, we just color coded it and 
all of our guys on Iraq had a roster and I would go by and I would mark, I would just highlight the guys based on their color code. And you had the, the strength coach had free reign on what he wanted to do um, and his intuition on his guys. So it's, it's taking a big environment and I'm just bringing it down to this, the individual strength coach where he's only working with maybe five to eight guys on a rack and he knows his guys more than anyone else. Right. And then even allowing them some sort of uh, autonomy to it. So it's like, hey, so this is the eight that we were going to do. We should do these two. We should definitely do the last one because this is what we, we know is important, right? So what, what in here is going to help your game? What is going to make you better? Yep. And then let's look at the lift. So what are you really good at? What, are we, what can we probably not worry about? You know, you're a double bodyweight squatter as a basketball player. Exactly. You probably don't need to hit all this extra stuff here. Upper body, you might need a little more work with. So maybe we keep all this stuff in here, push this a little bit, back the other down. But you know what? You feel it out. You tell me. Exactly. And you let them do that. And now all of a sudden, these guys are like, oh, okay. Now, yeah. Do you have kids that sometimes are going to be like, Jay, I don't want to do this shit at all. <laughs> yeah. So just tell me what to do. Yeah. You know, it's like just bang these out. Take out everything that you can and just get them through what they need because you know, obviously, at that point, their mood blows, so they're not going to get anything really out of it to begin with. And uh, But when you let them pick that stuff, there's, there's a lot of times where you see them go, wait, what? What? Oh, me? Oh, I never thought of that. Okay, well, we need to be done in an hour, so this isn't like we're trying to you know, solve world peace here. Right. What are you best at? What can we make you better at? Yep. Figure it out. There's the eight exercises you can choose from. Go. Yep. Perfect. Got it. Let's go. So. No, that's great. Um, I, you know, no, I really hadn't thought about that. Um, I was so focused on giving our strength coaches autonomy that, you know, I didn't even think about the kids as much having input. But, you know, I could see where that would increase motivation, get more buy-in. So that's, that's a good point. Um, in just a situation as a strength coach, you'd have to fill out and see how your kids respond. So mm -hmm. it's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, it obviously there are some individuals who are allotted a little bit longer leash than others. Of course. Yeah. You know? And I think that the one thing that's special with basketball is they sometimes they fake it that they don't understand it, but they do. You know, like our two best players. I let them make a little bit more of a decision than, you know, the next two guys. And those two guys get to make a little bit more of the decisions than the next two guys. And whether Mr. Five and Six like it or not, I don't care. Yeah. Because Mr. Five and Six aren't the guys that are going to get me 30 and 15, you know, against a Pac-12 Pac team. Sorry. This is, this is planet Earth. Yeah. This isn't. Mommy's fantasy world where she told you everything was okay and here's your cake. Right. Like, he needs to make sure that he's doing things because we need to win. Right. Um, and and that's great too for, you know, those guys that are five and six saying, well, how can I get to three and four and one and two? What can I do as a person? I don't want to be five and six. I want to be able to do this. And so then you can start to get those. Well, these are the things that these guys do that make them that have that ability. So, Obviously, it's either something character-related or something lifestyle that we need to, to address to get you to that point. So I think it's great that you've created that environment where it almost becomes a uh, self-regulating 
and, and guys, it increases motivation to, to do the things outside the training facility. Mm-hmm. And it makes it easy for me. Yeah. Because it's like, hey, what do you want me to do? Listen, these are numbers. Yeah. These are his numbers. It's data. Yeah. It helps with buy-in so much if it's used in the right way. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd, I'd, I'd love to treat you like him. Yeah. But. Exactly. There's a caste system in everything in society. And I'm sorry to be the one that's going to be the person to tell you this, but life isn't fair. <laughs> <laughs> you know? If everything was fair, strength coaches would make the same amount of money as a head coach. I mean, and, and let's be honest, that's never going to happen. Oh, no. Not <laughs> U.S. by any means. No, no. Good, bad, or indifferent, you know? I mean, it's because with that, you know, more money, more problems. But it's uh, more responsibility. No doubt. But yeah, it's, it's fun, man. And, and when you allow those kids to, to build it themselves and they can see things, as long as you're successful, mm-hmm. um, then it then it speaks for itself. Exactly. But yeah, well, Chris, this has been an absolutely awesome talk, and I think that people getting to hear more about it and understand it more are, are going to be able to incorporate these things um, into their programming. I think that a lot of it is, is things that people, just like everything that we do, they overcomplicate it, and the, you know, the devil is in the details, but I don't think that they... They see the forest through the trees with it at all. Exactly. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it was a great talk. I'm glad I got to share a little bit about, you know, what I did at UK. And I wouldn't call it revolutionary because people have been doing this uh, for a while. Um, and I think as a culture, we're getting there. We're, we're starting to see that the same program doesn't work um, and that, that we're pushing to more of an individualized, fluid type of model with data supporting our decisions. So, uh, yeah, it was a good discussion. And, you know, you let me know if you need anything else from me or, or anybody has any questions, you can forward it my way. Brilliant, man. Brilliant. Thank you so much for being part of this, brother. We'll be in touch soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Bob. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Huge thank you to today's guest, University of Texas's Dr. Chris Morris. Guys, it's, uh, you know, a lot of things with this are, are really, really awesome. One, the fact that he, A, put his work directly out there, you know, his dissertation for everyone to see, you know, for everyone to, to be able to review. And, you know, there have been some people who have been a little bit critical of it on the Internet, you know, and, and he hasn't shied down away from it. So, again, kudos to Dr. Morris for, for being upfront and with his open and honest sharing for all of us to be able to become better. Um, but then to come out here and, and give even more uh specific examples of, of how they've altered things which was really awesome so i can't thank him enough for the talk you know I, again i hope you guys enjoyed it and as always if you have please share it in the social media outlet of your choice if you have any questions comments as you said at the end of the talk guys we'll fire them over his way and we'll we'll get those answered for you uh, but as always guys thank you so much for being a part of this i hope you enjoyed the conversation and we will be back next week with another awesome guest thank you we'll see you then